0: Welcome to Beyond This Point. I'm Gabriel Stromberg, Creative Director of Civilization. So, what is the point of Beyond This Point? The inspiration for this podcast really came about through our studio, being so inspired by those around us who we work, collaborate, and engage with—artists, business owners, designers, and leaders of all types. We recognized the value in having access to these distinct perspectives and wanted to create a conversation that puts a spotlight on different ways of seeing, thinking, and making. While in Hong Kong, I had the opportunity to sit down with Paloma Strelitz and Lewis Jones, two founders of Assemble, the extraordinary London-based collective working across the fields of architecture and design. In Assemble's mission statement, it describes their approach. They are seeking to actively involve the public as both participant and collaborator, and they are addressing the typical disconnect between the public and the process by which places are made. Assemble are also the recent winners of Britain's most prestigious art award, the Turner Prize. Their win is historically significant for two reasons. It was the first time the award has ever been awarded for work outside the realm of fine art, in this case for architecture. Also, it was the first time the award was given to a collective. It usually goes to a single artist, and Assemble is currently made up of 18 members. The specific piece of work that garnered the prize was the Granby 4 Street project, where the members of Assemble collaborated with the residents of a declining area in Liverpool to reconstruct their neighborhood into a thriving design-focused community. Together with the residents, they repaired buildings that had fallen into extreme disrepair, executed architectural improvements like community gardens and social spaces, and created a workshop where locals could be trained and employed and where products made in Granby could be sold to help support the continued rebuilding of the area. The projects they take on are extraordinarily varied, but all hold true to their slogan, Make, Don't Make, Do. What is truly noteworthy about their work and why we are so excited to have them as part of this podcast is their use of design as a catalyst to shape and impact the physical world around them. Whether it's transforming an abandoned gas station into a community cinema using donated or reclaimed materials, building an exquisite children's playground, or undertaking the complete renovation of a neighborhood and working with residents to improve their environment and ultimately their lives, Assemble are applying their talent, their skill, and their practice to the task of making the world a better place. And now, let's go beyond this point. Guys, thanks so much for being here and chatting with us today. Thanks for having us. First off, I want to say congratulations. This year, you've been nominated for the Turner Prize, Britain's most prestigious visual art award. Past recipients include Damien Hirst, Steve McQueen, Wolfgang Tillmans. Assemble was nominated in particular for an urban renewal project in Liverpool, the Granby Four Street Project. I think it's also notable that Assemble is the first architecture firm ever to be nominated for this. That's pretty incredible. It's clear that you guys are first and foremost designers, architects, makers, uh, yet your approach is extremely artful and innovative. Do you consider yourselves artists? (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is a a
1: question that never really came up before (laughs) um, before the Turner Prize nomination, but one, um, yeah, which I think is is really interesting because I guess... um, You know, we don't really say um, kind of what role we're playing in each project that we do. Um, I think, you know, it can cover kind of many different disciplines. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, we really enjoy working a way that is is multidisciplinary and kind of draws from from lots of different things, from kind of um, ideas of kind of art practice, architecture, craft, design, (laughs) everything.
0: How many are there on uh, on the Assemble team currently?
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, there are about 16 people who are sort of involved on a weekly basis um, in, in the work of Semble.
0: And how do you guys approach collaboration? Um, does every member have a distinct role? Are there certain aspects of projects that you all weigh in on?
1: Well, no. So, so some people, most of the group have backgrounds in architecture, but not everyone. Yeah. And that doesn't really dictate what roles people play. And it depends really um, on the, on the projects and kind of what the circumstance demands. Um, so we, but for each project, normally we, we have kind of two or three people kind of leading that project and they're the kind of main points of contact and kind of managing it. And then... So it's, um, very, it's
0: very flexible.
1: Yeah, but then, you know, every, every week we, we all have a kind of meeting together where we go through each project and we also have kind of design reviews.
0: So uh, the, f- the first project that you all worked on was titled Cinerolium uh you transformed an abandoned petrol station into a temporary movie theater what was the initial impetus for this project
2: well it came at the point when we had um the most most of us had just finished our undergraduate architecture school and so we were all working in different studios and we just had a real motivation to to, to do it ourselves and to be involved in you know in all the processes from sort of conception to construction that you don't get if you're involved, you know, if you're working in a large practice on a big project where you have, you know, a very small role within that. So it's just, it was really just an exciting, in the first instance, an exciting opportunity to get something done.
0: The Guardian uh, recently wrote a piece on you in which one of the chairs of the Grandy Street project, uh, she attributes the ultimate success of the project to how well you listen to the residents involved and another project that also focused on the revitalization of an urban space, the new Addington Project. Uh, At the start, you strategically created events uh, which enabled you to connect and listen to to the residents involved. How important is listening to the realization of a project?
1: I think, well, it's, it's obviously incredibly important, you know, and, you know, and in, in, in both directions, probably. And I think it's also just about kind of uh, recognizing the expertise um, that a lot of people have, which isn't necessarily immediately obvious if they're titled, you know, resident. Um, but actually, you know, the people that we're working with in Granby, you know, they really, we're supporting their vision that they have for the area. Um, and they are real experts. <laughs> so definitely worth listening to
0: <laughs> a recurring component uh, in your practice is giving the the people involved in the community that you're designing for a sense of ownership in the design process how does that affect their relationship to the space
1: i think it it, it makes you understand that everything in the city and in our environment is malleable and you know it's not a pr- you know change in the city doesn't happen through a uh, kind of you know this unknown process which is totally inaccessible but everything is man-made and so kind of uh involving more people into that in that process is more empowering um both in the and you know i think it, it yeah it makes better spaces in the short term because there's there's more kind of needs and desires and things that you know kind of become part of the formation of that space but it's also very good in the long term because it means that you know more and more people really are kind of involved in how we are changing and making our cities.
0: When when I think of architecture, words that come to mind, um, fixed, permanent, expensive, dividing, boundary making, exclusive, impenetrable, Uh, your work seems to exist in opposition to these concepts. Uh, Do you see yourselves through your work as establishing alternative systems of value?
1: I would just say, I mean, I, I don't necessarily associate those terms with architecture, um, but I think, I think, yeah, maybe a lot of people do, and that some, you know, a lot of people see architecture as something which is quite exclusive. It happens in art galleries and, you know, luxury apartments, but it doesn't happen in, in everyday life. And that's a really important issue to, to address, because it's just about the value of creativity and design, you know, in all aspects of life, and which, you know, the built environment ends up playing a, a, a pretty big role.
2: I think there's also, there is a sort of running thread in our work of, I suppose, imbuing a value or a care to things which often are considered to have little value. And sometimes that's really obvious, like the flyover undercroft, I mean, totally incidental, no real reason why it would have been used before, but actually a sort of a process of transformation can really radically alter how people understand that. But sometimes those things are much more bizarre and complex, like in Granby, where actually what you have is, you know, some really beautiful Victorian houses that, um, you know, for political reasons, really, were, were devalued and therefore actually something that would be very... would be considered valuable in a London context and the Liverpool context, not by the people living there, but by many others, was considered not worth the effort of saving. And so, so I think there is something about value systems and where we at play that's sort of, that, that is sort of hard. I mean, I guess it's it's hard to explain, but it's, it's, you know, often about, yeah, emphasis and care and tension in places, which perhaps some other people have chosen not to put that care.
0: It seems, in both of those projects that you mentioned, that you created value out of nothing. Well,
2: we're not <laughs> alchemists. <alphanases. laughs>
0: Sometimes it seems that you are. <laughs> um, you'd mentioned play. When I was reviewing your work, um, it was really clear what inspires you and what what you consider important. Play, um, collaboration, participation, community. How do these things inform the choices that you make with materials, process, production? And, and how do these things ultimately translate into tangible design?
2: I think um, it varies, obviously, depending on the project and sometimes the the purpose of the project is in part the act of collective construction, so the Folly is an example of that. But in other places, actually, you know, we like the Baltic Street Adventure Playground, we did the sort of infrastructural work required to sort of set that up and the groundworks required to sort of turn a tarmac uh, coal pit into a, a playground. But actually, it was about creating the conditions which would enable the children's creativity. Um, so, so it's always dependent. I think, you know, the largest, some at the larger scale, I think we do often take an attitude that uh, we tend to work with relatively small budgets, so we need to, we need to choose what are the ready-mades, we need to choose what are the system, the cheap systems that we can use, and then how might we alter them or manipulate them or push what they're capable of, and then what might be the few things that are more bespoke, are handmade, um, are playful, you know, I mean, and so it's always, it's really, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's our palette in a way of sort of ready-mades and handmaids and um, seeing how we can push it together. And that's, I suppose, really where sort of the skill of the traditional architect um, comes into play.
1: I think there's also um, an effort to make places which, which are kind of open-ended and aren't seen as, you know, fixed or, or complete. And that will hopefully you know engender um yeah kind of changes and destruction and you know all sorts of things that to, to kind of ha- happen in the future there and i think that relates a lot to the value that we place in play and creativity and collaboration
0: how does visual aesthetics fit into your process when, when do you think about that
1: I suppose all of, all of these things, you know, like the political kind of relevance, the social value, the, the, you know, the design or aesthetic value, they were all involved all the way through. And, I mean, that's why it's important what, for us to be involved in many different sides of the project from, you know, the, the kind of, you know, within the traditional world of the architect also in terms of how something's constructed and how, you know, what the conditions are that make it able to happen. So I, I think, you know at every point um, alongside everything else.
2: <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I, mean, I suppose though the other side of that is that some we create some work for ourselves, some work comes to us in the form of commissions and you know, we choose what we take on and, and I think people do rarely take on work that they perceive to be of purely aesthetic value. So, I mean, I think people are really interested in creating exciting looking spaces um, but I think they want the content to, be, to, to sort of sit alongside it, really.
0: Uh, your, your work is visually delightful, and I feel like that's an important part of the experience that you're trying to create. And I'm thinking of um, everything from the scale of things. Sometimes uh, it's, it's really fun or um, like a, an unexpected size, proportion. I'm thinking of the little details, the ceramic uh, doorknobs, the, the woodblock prints, all those little, all those little things they add up and they make the experience very personal and very human.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I think there are, you know, there, I mean, because because we are sort of a multidisciplinary team, um, actually there are people with a lot of different skills, um, especially sort of craft-based skills, and actually, you know, projects like that are just a really fun and exciting opportunity to engage with new processes, test new techniques, try new things out and actually you know those ha- those are operating at the set scale of sort of domestic objects but they're equally testing things that could be later applied to a larger scale project i mean things like the cinerolium um is, is the like domestic curtain made um really to the scale of a, of a building so i think i think you know those those products also become testing grounds for architectural ideas
0: well, let's talk a little bit about your uh, approach to experimentation. Your studio has kind of a laboratory feel.
1: That sounds great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of um, kind of hands-on development and testing that goes into a lot of the projects that we do.
0: Um, there was there was one material in particular that I remember. It was some sort of paper crepe, yeah. crepe thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> looking at yeah, quite a lot of kind of you know, backyard science type approaches to ways that you can use simple, you know, economic materials that kind of, you know, find, you know, make them work harder or find different ways of, of, of kind of using them and seeing them. It's a lot of fun, definitely.
2: YouTube has been an endless inspiration. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are there any uh, projects coming up that you guys are particularly excited about?
1: Um, well, so for me, I'm still just really involved in, in Granby and kind of launching Granby Workshop, um,
0: you know, which is a real
1: kind of long-term project. So, you know, setting up what can be a sustainable social enterprise, providing employment and and training to people in the area. Um, so it's very much going to be something that we have an involvement in for, for years to come. And that will be something which is responsibility is kind of gradually handed over. i imagine you know we'll always have an investment there um you know personal and professional one
2: well i'm sort of uh busy trying to complete the tender package for a project that we've been working um with uh, goldsmiths college it's a very well-known university in london it's got this amazing amazing cultural output and it's got a very strong art department where a lot of very a sort of um, successful British uh, artist studied, and for a really and in sort of in an area of South London that has sort of you know limited um, lim- uh, like limited public buildings or like or public art galleries and and as a university you know it sits as a sort of quite idiosyncratic um, urban campus, but it doesn't really have any conduits with its sort of um, public conduits with its immediate surroundings. So this has been a really long-term aspiration of uh, the Fine Art Department to set up a new public art gallery as as a new public resource for the area. And so it's being built in a Victorian bathhouse. And so it's transforming the historic um, water tanks and back of house, the baths, into a new public um, face. So really opening up these service spaces that weren't uh, traditionally accessible to the public and um and and sort of providing yeah uh, like I think what is hopefully going to be a really amazing resource for both like the people who are part of Goldsmiths but also for sort of the area and Felderfield I hope.
0: <laughs> Do you have a different way that you approach um a, com- a project that's completely new uh, as opposed to one that works with an existing structure that has history and tradition?
1: I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any set approach for, for anything, really. But I think it's really, I think the thing that's that's really exciting about working with um, existing buildings or existing structures is that you're instantly dealing with something which you know has already had a previous use, a previous set of associations, and that becomes something to to kind of um, to juxtapose or to, to play with a storytelling element. Um, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's there's definitely a kind of uh, a, a narrative element about how we see things that are, that are, that are familiar. And I think it also helps, you know, break away from that idea of uh, a building ever being complete. um, Because you're, you know, you're dealing with something which you know is already been used something else and will be used something else again in the future. And so I think that, you know, that lends itself to kind of probably a a looseness, which is, you know, and a playfulness, which is, which is good.
0: You guys have a, um, the way that you approach materials, um, the ideas of reuse and um, trying to have as little waste as possible, is that influenced in any in any way by um, concern of sustainability, uh, environmental issues? Is that in any way and kind of inform that part of your process?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, en- energy usage and sustainability, both in, a, in an environmental context but also kind of you know socially, is, is definitely an important part of of the way that. You know we approach things and hopefully it's one which is just Im- embedded in 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 everything um
2: i think because we do work with limited budgets we're very aware of the need to be expedient and therefore we don't want to be wasteful we don't want to waste the limited resources there often are available and we want to deal with what we do have intelligently so i think it comes from that perspective as well
0: and it seems that a lot of your projects, um, it's those uh, those boundaries and those limits that you're working with that often lead to really interesting and innovative solutions.
1: I think definitely engaging with reality <coughs> and making something which isn't necessarily um, not trying to create a perfect project, but trying to create one which is kind of you know practical and but you know within that you know within those constraints is still
0: playful and. Um, exciting and innovative i mean you know human too i think that the idiosyncrasies of your work kind of invite people to connect with it
1: i think i mean that's something which we're we're really interested in the value of kind of 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 seeing something which is visibly handmade and also that to kind of really understand (coughs) that something has been made i think and it can be you know, unmade or remade or um, changed. I mean, you know, that's, a, that's an important kind of thing for us.
0: As you guys move forward, do you think you're going to stay small or do you have your uh, your sights set on, on larger projects?
2: Well, Assemble Towers is <laughs> as always in the pipeline.
1: Yeah, we're really interested in, in working in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I d- it's hard to know, really. I, like, we have stayed at quite a sort of static size, but obviously that doesn't really reflect the number of collaborators we have. Um,
0: so it's... Is, it, is there a certain freedom in working smaller and keeping things small?
1: I guess, I mean, 15 people doesn't, you know, being involved in every major decision doesn't feel small. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and also, you know, on a really on a practical level, I mean, so we, all, we, we cook lunch for each other every day and it's hard to imagine how we could get much bigger than 15 without having, you know...
2: Or to your risotto?
1: Yeah, that would become a big ordeal, cooking for, like, 30 people.
0: <laughs> so, um... and So, is the Granby workshop was in an offshoot of the of the Granby 4th Street project? Or was it something that was envisioned at the very beginning, from the very beginning?
1: So, from the very beginning, we really had an aspiration to use this process of rebuilding um, the kind of, you know, the houses in the neighbourhood to also address, you know, it's like social and economic opportunity in the area. Um, and that you know, really the way that that became possible was through the Turner Prize nomination and then having this platform through which we could launch the workshop, you know, which would be kind of a really incredible one-off opportunity to give a leg up to a new social enterprise.
0: Um, so, so you're actually, you're creating the environment and then you're actually creating an economy within that environment.
1: Well, it's about both providing employment in the area and, mm-hmm. um, But it's also really importantly about continuing and sustaining this amazing kind of hands-on attitude and culture of making, which has really brought the area out of dereliction. Um, And that really existed within a certain, you know, slightly older generation of residents who had lived through the riots and had fought to save the houses. And so now it's about kind of involving young people in that same type of attitude
0: is it correct to say that um, that's not a typical responsibility of ar- architects or architecture?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. You know, it, it comes out of, of, you know, our... Uh, up until now. Up until <laughs> yeah. now. I mean, well, I hope that
0: this model is, is repeated and, and...
1: I think it's important to say that, I mean, we all... Yeah, well, the majority of us have backgrounds in architecture but we, we really enjoy working across multiple fields. And that is something which we think really brings benefit to situations. That it's, you know, the work in Granby, it doesn't begin and end, you know, when the house, you know, the kind of houses you know, construction on the house starts and finishes. It's part of a, of a, you know, an ongoing situation trying to improve the area.
0: Assemble symbol utilizes creativity in, in a really transformative and proactive way. I mean, is this something that you guys understood from the very beginning, or is it something that evolved as you work together?
2: It's hard to know. I think that, you know, we lots of us study together. So I think we, in a way, we've been collaborating for a much longer time than, uh, you know, than since the Cinerolium. And so I think there has always been. Quite a generous attitude of sort of sharing ideas sharing advice sharing techniques and I think in many ways assemble is, is, is a continuation of that sort of those conversations that started much longer ago and that culture that has been you know has been has been very productive
1: I think it also over the five years that we've been kind of working as a kind of in a more formal group you know as, as assemble or whatever um, you know the the themes that we're interested in. You know, it continues to evolve, um, and we find new methods or kind of new interests as as, as we continue to
0: develop. <laughs> I just imagine that's no easy feat finding 16 people that all want to use their uh, their vocation to make the world a better place. I think that's that's pretty special.
1: I don't think so. I oh. think you know. <laughs> I, th- I mean, you know, I think you know everyone wants to imp- improve. The, you know, the world that we live in, in, in some way, um, I think definitely there's a. We're very lucky to have a, you know there's a great group of people, and we're all you know with enough kind of momentum and, and interest to, um, to kind of really make things happen.
0: I, mean, oh, no, I, I think it's amazing, and I mean, because it's not just this offshoot or this component of what you do; it's kind of like the main focus.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're also quite cautious about making any claims on the work. Like, we. It is work as well, like we, you know, we, we take commissions, we do jobs, um, we also do you know, we do it to sustain ourselves and, and we do it because we find it interesting and rewarding. So, uh, yeah, I'm cautious of big claims, but obviously there is sort of a running thread in the type of work we do that sort of sits outside um, sort of perhaps certain conventional um, barriers or uh, descriptions of a, a type of architectural
0: practice when you're deciding on a new projects or um which projects to take on is there a set of requirements that have to be met well there
1: needs to be enough people interested in working on it to take the project on i mean that's really the the main requirement um you know which means for different people different things um, yeah there's no kind of set rules
0: <laughs> uh, is there um does everyone kind of decide together or is it happen organically
2: there have to be at least two people who are really interested in, in leading a project um, for it to go forward. Um, and at that point, you know, it becomes part of the conversation. And if, if there was a reason why people felt that it shouldn't be taken on, then I think that would, you know, that is expressed or discussed. Um, but, you know, normally it's just down to having an appropriate level of interest. And then, um, and then you know, if, if everyone's interested, then there's just a discussion about what's what you know what makes sense to do. Um, but I mean, that's great when that happens because then you know we do have moments when we all get together to discuss projects to see how they can develop, to see the direction that they're going in, and it means that there's you know a lot of shared ownership of, of the work.
1: Yeah. So I guess there's there's kind of. More organised points. We all kind of collectively review and have input on the the progress of a project. But then also kind of all working together every day in the same space. There's also it's a lot of kind of informal um, development that goes into you know the development of each project, which is really kind of rich. I think both within assemble, but also within you know the wider um, group of people in Sugarhouse Studios and our own you know friends and family. Um, they tend to be projects that we all get very kind of invested in
0: well one of the things i'm really interested in is um this idea of kind of creating an economy um it's in a a few of your projects this idea of like going into a space and developing it and um and then creating an economy it seems to me that um is this true that it's almost like you see the success of the the residents of the space their kind of long-term success as Intricately linked into the success of the actual project. It's 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 almost you don't you don't just define the success of the project um, by its completion, but, but the fact that its uh, its residents can uh, grow and thrive there.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I mean it's only the beginning when the builders leave, isn't it? Um, and that so there's you know people sort of have their lives, their everyday lives in, in those buildings, and it's really you know if anything, architecture is about setting up the conditions where people can can live their lives. Um, And in that sense it is very much only the beginning, which is, you know, why it is always extraordinary that, you know, in in sort of architecture and design press, it's very rare that you see a building beyond the moment when the builders have left. Um, Because obviously (coughs) that's when they become sort of fascinating and real and compromised in really interesting ways and like utilised in really exciting ways too.
0: But commonly, doesn't that kind of stop at a certain point and, and a symbol kind of takes it a step further yeah. or maybe two yeah. steps further?
2: I mean, it does depend. I think it's something, you know, I think partly with, with the Cinerolium, you know, we conceived it and we built it and then without realising it, we had to run it too, which we did. And actually, there was a sort of real um, pleasure in, in operating that space for the time it lasted. And, and it is something that is quite rare and is quite difficult in the architectural profession. I mean, you do get very involved with, your projects and then, you know, usually you leave it. And, and there are projects like that, that we just left, but obviously, you know, I think we are interested in the long-term relationships and we're interested in friendships and we tend to be very interested in the projects that we're doing. So I think there is a willingness to see how that process can get extended so that it can be a more continual involvement.
1: And I think, but it's also about, um, Kind of really sharing ownership of mm-hmm. something, and maybe you know our role is one of kind of in, you know initiating something, but you have to be kind of very happy to let it take its own course and go in completely different direction than you had anticipated.
0: This week at the Business of Design Week, uh, a lot of the events that I attended, there seemed to be this reoccurring theme of design shaping the future, and I think a huge part of that is, is responsibility, and it, it seems to me that you guys feel responsible for the spaces that you create and the people that that live there
2: yeah i mean i think that's true i mean we are we are just emotionally connected to what we do um and so it's sort of it's very rare that we look at anything with a a dispassionate eye so it's sort of that other perspective which i mean obviously comes from a very different type of commercial world perhaps it is not something that is a way that we have ever operated or and it's not a culture that we're particularly familiar with because we've never been working in in that type of environment so i think we're doing what feels a lot more instinctive to us
0: do you in your practice ever encounter moments where you have to decide whether to compromise your your principles or your philosophy
1: i mean there are always challenges and Often, when you think, you know, that it's, it's it's an ongoing struggle, you know, to make the most of whatever situation the um, <laughs> project is in. <laughs> and I think it's important just to really um, trust and value, you know, the expertise and the opinions of the people that you're working with, whether they're a client or, you know, or, or kind of a builder or whatever. I don't think we've ever really entered into a project where where we've had to, you know, you know, compromise to kind of you know, meet the will of the client or whatever. Um, it's always been it's sort of a shared responsibility to make something which works. Um, but inevitably, things turn out very differently to how you expect them to. But sometimes that's really exciting. Great. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: Beyond This Point is created by Civilization, a design firm rooted in social change. The podcast is audio engineered by Dave West and produced by Eric Blood. Listen to more of our podcasts at beyondthispoint.design.